I wanted to share something today with you. Um, really felt the Holy Spirit leading me to share this, even though it came in my own study. Um, things that I'm personally looking at. And uh, some of you will have kind of heard what I'm gonna, where I'm going to start with. It's called the white light vision. How many of you have heard me talk about the white light vision? Yeah, some of you. Oh, not, not as many as I thought. Okay. When we were... Uh, the white light vision. White light. Okay. So... Before we, Faith Life started, um, I was, we, we were praying about what God wanted to do in man and Shell's life. And I was putting Matt to bed one night, and uh, he used to have one of these cabin beds, you know, where he used to climb in, but he didn't like climbing in, you know, because he'd had this routine since he was little, so Dad had to lift him in, so I lift him in. And, and as I was kind of... We'd gone through all the putting Matthew to bed routine. I was stood at the bottom of Matthew's bed and said, Lord, I just do not know what you want us to do with all this, this stuff you put on our hearts. And it was kind of like just this, uh, it was almost like a film started in front of me. And it was, it was this open vision. And it was of a, a, a big crowd of people. And the people were all bathed in blue. And they were worshipping. And at the edge of uh, that crowd, there was people going in and out and uh, meeting others and then bringing them into the crowd to join. And, but the, the real key was that in that bathing in blue, they were, everybody was looking and worshipping in one direction. And it, it was a picture of a church. And... At the centre of that, uh, all those people, there wasn't me, there wasn't Cheryl, there wasn't a worship team, there was just white light, there was glory. And Jesus was the centre of attention. It was about him. And it's so key I believe, to what God wants us to continue to build and to look forward to is that it is all about Jesus. Now, some of you have seen kind of, uh, I guess, stuff that if you look on Facebook, then you might have seen me put things up like, the message is Jesus. And we have this thing up there, one king, one saviour, one message, Jesus. And the reason that that goes up there when I'm speaking is partly to discourage me from having lots of slides up there. But secondly, so we remember what it really is all about. Because I want you to see Jesus and know Jesus more deeply as a result of what I say than to see me and think Mark's a good speaker, bad speaker, whatever speaker. Because if you see more of Jesus than you see of me, then I've succeeded. Yeah. If you see more of me than you see of Jesus, then I've failed at what he's called me to do. And, you know, there's a lot of things we can talk about in churches. 
And there is a lot of things we talk about. You know, we... we and, and I'm not saying these are good, bad things or whatever. They, they're generally good things. But we, can, we, we talk about all sorts of stuff. We'll talk about uh, relationships. We'll talk about what church services should look like. What's the best way to organise your church to get it to grow. We'll talk about uh, finances. We'll talk about doctrine. We'll talk about race. We'll talk about politics. People talk about all sorts of things in church. We'll talk about self-help. We'll, 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 we'll talk about all sorts of stuff. And it's not that that's bad. But what we've managed to do is talk about a lot of stuff that actually divides us. If you take any of those topics, they divide us. And generally what we're doing is we're saying, this is where we stand as a church on that topic, but all them lot out there don't stand in that same place. But we got it right. And, and you're almost defined by how different you are to every other church. And, and what you do. And, and that's why we, we, we talk about all these sort of things in church. But the truth is, they all divide us. If you talk about politics in church, it divides. If you talk about finances in church, it divides. If you talk about race in church, it divides. And, you know, there's all sorts of things. And they're not bad things, they're good things. And God puts on individual people's hearts to... To, to talk about those things and work in those areas and stand for him in those areas. But the truth is, amongst us, all those sort of things divide. They divide us from other churches. They divide us from other ministries. And, and it's almost like we, we, we now try and build our, our ministry or our churches on the basis of what divides us from other ministries or churches. That's why the message is Jesus. Because if the message is Jesus, he doesn't divide, he unifies. And we, we, we're in a different season, we're in a different age, we're in a, we've entered a different epoch over the, the last two or three years. It, we, we're not meant to be the same churches as we were before we entered this season. We're in a different season of the spirit we're in a different season of the gospel we're in a season now where we're moving towards the end and so in that season we have to carry a different spirit and that needs to be a spirit that unifies instead of divides and 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 the only thing that unifies us as believers is jesus that's why the message is jesus one king, one saviour, one message, Jesus. So I'm going to share with uh, you some of the stuff that I've been studying on Jesus. Um, I did joke, I think, before Christmas that I was going to do a 17-year series just called Jesus. Maybe it's not a joke. Because everything needs to come back to him. I'm going to uh, read from Colossians chapter 1. Verse 
verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with what? With the knowledge of his will in wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what we wanted. I, I want to be filled with knowing how to follow him, where he's going, what his will is, and to have wisdom as I pursue that. That you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That means we can walk in a manner unworthy of the Lord. Pleasing to all, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Or increasing in the way you know God or the depth of your knowing God. It's not talking about information, it's talking about relationship there. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, enduring everything with perseverance and patience joyfully. Giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has, say he has, say it's a done deal. If you're a believer, this is talking about you. You have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, from the power of the kingdom of darkness, into another kingdom called the kingdom of God's dear son, Jesus. That's where your allegiance is. That's where your loyalty is. That's where authority is exercised to you and for you. You see, the kingdom of Jesus exercises authority to us, for us, because he loves us. So his exercise of authority is for our best. How cool is that? Unlike the guy that we got away from, where his exercise of authority was for everybody's worst. In whom we have... So Jesus, in whom... In whom... So it doesn't apply to those who aren't in him. Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so that, that's straightforward. But then look what it goes on to say about Jesus. He, Jesus, is the exact image of the invisible God. In other words, you can't see God the Father, but if you look at Jesus, you ex see exactly what God the Father looks like. He's the exact imprint. He, he, he's everything about the Father comes out in Jesus. He's full of God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, all things were created, that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. Everything, every throne, every power system, every um, system of authority was created by Jesus. 
all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. Your little, your little toe was created by Jesus. The hairs on your head, which mine are not as bountiful and fruitful as they used to be, were created by Jesus. This all was created by Jesus. The world was created by Jesus. All things were created by him, for him. You might think you were born for you. The truth is, you were born for Jesus. You were always intended to be his. He always wanted you. He always put an ownership claim on you. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If Jesus stops concentrating for 30 seconds, the world ceases to exist. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. The, the Bible tells us he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that all in all things... Say all things, including my heart, he might have preeminence. That's the big crux, isn't it? Does Jesus have preeminence in my life? Because he has preeminence in the universe and will have for eternity. But have I connected to him or not? For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. And to reconcile all things to himself by him, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him I say, whether they are things in earth or things in heaven. So what do, we, what do we see there? Well, first off, we, we see that thing that he's the exact image of God. He's, he's God on earth. And so he's the one who can be seen. He's the one who can be seen. This took me, this took me by surprise when the Holy Spirit showed me this. He gave up everything in heaven. The Bible tells us he emptied himself. And humbled himself in a body to die on a cross. And then later on we find out that he received his resurrected body which we're all going to receive. It's a human body. A resurrected human body. Here's the thing. He wore a body on earth 
And he still wears a body now and will wear a body for eternity. When Jesus emptied himself for you, it wasn't a 33-year emptying, it was eternal emptying. So that a man would always be on the throne at God's right hand side. And would always hold the keys of his covenant. He didn't give it up for 33 years and suffering on a cross. He gave it up forever for you. He's eternally a man. It was a kind of eternal decision. Not a mission decision. And, and then we find out in verse 16 that the Father creates through Jesus. For Jesus. So God the Father intended to eternally glorify the eternal Son who had humbled himself by creating everything for his glory and for him. That's his reward. So we were created for Jesus' joy, Jesus' delight, Jesus' pleasure, and Jesus' love. How awesome is that? That's, my, that's who I am. I was created for Jesus' joy, Jesus' pleasure, Jesus' delight, and Jesus' love. And then it says in verse 17, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So before there was anything, he is. Not he was, he is. He's outside time. I don't get my, I, I struggle to get my head around that, but he is. Jesus not, isn't somebody who was, he's always been, he is. And all things consist in him so that in all things he might be preeminent that he might be number one ultimately the whole universe bows the knee and proclaims him number one and what Jesus is asking us is have we really got a hold of the fact that he is number one? And is that the way our hearts regard him? Is he the deciding factor when we make decisions? Is he the determinant of whether we do something or not? Is he the passion that we have is he the goal of our life because he already is preeminent it's just have you found that out for yourself is he the goal of your life now let me try and show you and expand some of the things the Holy Spirit showed me from this as I, I was studying it. First thing, because that, to, for our little minds, our, my, my peanut brain 
struggles with like these big concepts. So I want to help me, my peanut brain, understand exactly what this is saying. And, and this, is, this is the first thing it's saying. And this is what I wrote down. There is nothing, and I'll put it in your terms rather than just me. There is nothing in your life that you have need of or do not have need of that is not found in Jesus. So he hasn't just got what you need, he's got more than you need because other people need those things. And it's all found where? In him. So your healing is in Jesus. That means your healing isn't in a promise. Your healing's in Jesus. He's the healer. That move of God that we're all looking for isn't in our prayers, it's in Jesus. We've got to find Jesus for that move of God. That hope, uh, what we hope for, that white light vision, is in Jesus. Our provision is in Jesus. His direction, his wisdom, it's in Jesus. Jesus told this um, parable about a man who goes into a field and he finds treasure in the field. And so he buries the treasure again and gives everything he has in order to have the treasure. So he's kind of found the treasure, buried it, he's got his treasure map, puts an X on the map, goes and sells everything he has for the treasure he found. Jesus is that X on the treasure map. He's, he's the one who's asking us to give everything for, for what we found. And in all things, this passage is telling us, he must have preeminence. If he isn't preeminent in our life and isn't preeminent in our church, we've got some things that need to change. Jesus has to be, on the basis of that, front and centre in every area. Let me be a little bit controversial. What that means is, even if you see good things happening, because we all have access to so much stuff we can look at, even if you see good things happening, if Jesus is not clearly proclaimed and clearly at the centre of it and he's given glory for it, you do not want to be part of it. Really, you don't. I'm not saying it's bad. You just don't want to be part of it. Because it's a distraction of your heart to the preeminence of Jesus. We need to stop talking about visions for our churches. The vision is no Jesus. We actually have a vision statement. Our vision statement is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. 
not how to grow our church. That's that's no with a K. Yes. Not no Jesus. Yes. <laughs> you see, we need to. I need to understand something. We all need to understand something. The church is Jesus's house before it's our house. And it needs to be his house. So this gives us this question, which is the question of the ages. And is the difference between a move of God and doing church. Is Jesus enough? Right, so there's the answer. Of course Jesus is enough. Because we know that's the answer, don't we? How many, how many years have we learned from, like, from Sunday school? The answer is always Jesus, isn't it? And if it's not Jesus, it's please can I go to the toilet. There's two answers in Sunday school. And the, but we know when anybody asks that question, is Jesus enough? The answer is, of course. Yeah. Well, of course he is, because he's preeminent above all things and everything that we need is in him. So yes, he's enough. The real question is, is Jesus enough for you? Yeah. Is he enough for me? Or is there something else instead that's really number one? Is there something I've added? Have I got a Jesus plus existence? I kind of like Jesus, but just as a security blanket, I'll make that security for myself here. Or is it is, where's my real support in life? Is it somebody else? Is it my bank account? Is it my employer? Is it my friends? Or is it Jesus? If everything was taken away of all those things, would I still know I had enough because I only had Jesus? What is our source of wisdom? When you're trying to decide what to do, when you're trying to decide to fit how to figure things out, what's your first point of call? That will tell you a lot about where your source of wisdom is. And if it's not Jesus, then you've unconsciously said Jesus isn't enough. Because in Colossians it tells us Jesus became wisdom unto us. It's in him. Real wisdom isn't found anywhere else. Now, here's, here's the point I'm making. Now, the enemy is clever. I want you to understand that. The enemy is clever. Here's something else. The enemy is supremely intelligent. By the way, we measure intelligence. The enemy is incredibly skilled. So the enemy is clever, intelligent, skilled, and cunning. Jesus is wisdom. The enemy does not have wisdom because Jesus is wisdom. All real wisdom is in Jesus. 
That means we need a shift in the way we approach our life away from clever, intelligent, skilled and cunning to wisdom. These things come from the enemy. Wisdom comes from Jesus. Wisdom has to be number one if we're to succeed in the life we were born for. Our society has replaced it with intelligence and skills and cleverness. But wisdom has to be number one because that's what the enemy doesn't have. If he'd had any wisdom, he would have read the Old Testament, understood it and not put Jesus on a cross. He'd have gone to the Last Supper and thought, no way am I going in Judas. Because I know how it turns out. But he didn't because he had no wisdom. He knew the scriptures. I get this. He knew the scriptures. He knew them inside out. He was so confident how well he knew the scriptures that he quoted them to Jesus in order to try and bring Jesus down. But he didn't have wisdom. So we have to seek wisdom. That means he's got to be number one if we're to succeed in our life. Because apart from Jesus, you can be clever, you can be bright, you can have great skills. Uh, this is me talking to myself in my journal. You can present well, you can get the world's applause, you can have lots of Facebook likes, but you can't get wisdom from any of that. And wisdom is the best. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 1.30 is the bit where it says, Jesus was made wisdom unto us. That means he's the only authentic source of wisdom. All wisdom is encapsulated in Jesus. And the good news is, because he loves us, because we're his delight, because we're his joy, he desires for us to get a hold of that wisdom. And he wants to give it to us. So it's on offer. Now you're thinking, well, okay, well, I get that Jesus is getting all this spiritual stuff. Jesus is spiritual. I thought you were going to give me something that I could understand, Mark. No, you just haven't got it, what I've just said. Here's what I've just said. Jesus isn't just wisdom spiritually. He's not a good bet spiritually. He's not the horse that we back amongst all the other religions. Jesus is all wisdom. Natural, spiritual, physical, intellectual, all the rest of it. Jesus is all wisdom because all things are in him. We're not talking just like, Am I a Christian, am I a Buddhist or whatever? That's my source of wisdom. Jesus is all wisdom. He's not just head in the clouds, he's practical down to earth. He knows, John, he knows how to change a tyre just like he knows how to create the universe. Wisdom. You know, if we got hold of this, it would absolutely revolutionise our lives. 
The cure for loneliness is Jesus. Not me, not, not Cheryl, not the puppy. Puppies are good. But it's Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you, and you can 100% guarantee he'll still be there. Jesus is the cure for powerlessness. How? Baptize you with the spirit and fire. It's in him. Jesus is the answer. Now you know that, don't you? Why do you know that? Because because you've done Bible study. You've been to um, Sunday school. You've done all these things. And Jesus is always the answer. Yeah? Well, Jesus is the answer. But when you were doing your Bible study, did you actually understand and were wise enough to know that Jesus was the point of the Bible study? Not how to be a good Christian. We go to the Bible to find Jesus. Jesus is the point of Bible study. Jesus is the point of back to the book on a Tuesday. And what we do on a Sunday. Jesus is not information or knowledge or being a highly intelligent Christian. Jesus is the point. Why is it so important that we get hold of that? Well, coming back to where I started. Because if Jesus is not the point of Bible study, but it's something else, then all we are doing is equipping ourselves to debate with others and bring division. Do you understand that? Jesus is not up for debate. But if we fill ourselves and go to the Bible to get points, we turn that into a source of debate and a source of division. The bride is not divided. The bride is unified. Okay, I know. It's deep stuff. It's deep stuff. Let's go a little bit deeper. Jesus came and he said, the thief, the enemy, the clever one, the intelligent one, the bright one, the cunning one, the skillful one, he's coming to what? Steal, kill and destroy. That thing in your life that's killing your body or killing your relationships, it's the enemy. That thing that's robbing you of your joy, it's the enemy. That thing that's robbing you of your peace, it's the enemy. It's the division that he brings. So he comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that they may have life. And life in all its abundance. So life comes. Now hang on to your hats on this one. Or your masks or whatever you want to hang on to. Your seats. When Jesus comes... Life comes. Let me, take, let me take you a little bit further, because this is where the Holy Spirit took me. When Jesus comes, life comes. 
But that's not a one-off thing talking about the cross. Because Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know you. And it starts now. So eternal life comes when Jesus comes into our life and when Jesus is present in our life. So when he's number one in our life, life comes. Life comes, joy comes, peace comes, power comes, loneliness goes, sickness goes. Why? Because Jesus is present. It's not the knowledge of Jesus that is present. Jesus is present. Because life has come and it keeps on coming. It keeps on coming. And as long as Jesus is there, life is coming. Because he's the source of life. And he's holding all things together by his word. That's why Jesus... And, and it, then it start, I started getting really excited at this point. That's why Jesus said, The words I speak are spirit and they are life. So when we hear Jesus speak, not when we read the words of the Bible, when we hear Jesus speak, and that can be through the words of the Bible or it can be through all sorts of other ways, but when we meet Jesus, here's what happens. The words I speak, the Rima words, not informational words, words that give, take lodge in your spirit and spring to life words, are spirit... The word is pneuma there, and what that means is, you probably know it means breathed on, uh, giving vital principle to, if you want the intellectual version. My words are spirit, they give life to, they breathe into you, and life, zoe, life in all its aspects. Life is God himself has it. So when Jesus comes, when we meet Jesus, we find in him life, breath, and life as God himself has it, and he gives it to us. Because when Jesus comes, we get life and life in all its abundance. The absence of Jesus, we don't. How's that for deep? Let me just go to John 17. You okay for another five minutes? Say yes. yes. Say yes, so I'll do ten. <laughs> John 17, verse 1. When Jesus spoke these words, he lifted his eyes towards heaven and said, Father, the hours come, glorify your Son. That your son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh. When Jesus was on earth, he had authority over all flesh. Why? Because he is the image of God. How? Not that he isn't human, he's fully human. But the image of God filled him because he was a man full of the Spirit. And so therefore he had authority over all things. All flesh. So he's got authority over all flesh. And it says, as you've given him authority over all flesh, he will give eternal life to all whom you've given him. 
the one who has authority over all flesh is wanting to give eternal life to everybody who he can come to and be preeminent for. And you're going, well, does he really have to be number one? Well, salvation works like this. You believe in his, your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, he was who he said he was. He was a Messiah and God raised him from the dead. Proving that he was the Messiah. He was the one who did what he said he would do. Broke the hold of Satan. Provided forgiveness from sin and redeemed you out of that kingdom. So yeah, I believe that. That's, that's number one of how you get to be saved. Number two, you confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. Either of those two missing, you miss one of the two things you need for salvation. So it is serious. Jesus does need to be number one. That's unpopular, isn't it? Verse 3, this is eternal life. So Jesus is offering us eternal life. And then he says, this is eternal life. And we're going, yeah, I'm going to heaven. And Jesus said, no, hang on a minute. This is eternal life that I'm offering, that you can know me. And, and we're going, yeah, but I wanted to get to heaven. No, Jesus said, this is what's on offer. You can know me now. That's what I'm offering. Because if you know me now, you've got heaven on earth. Because when you get to heaven, Jesus is the centre of all things. Jesus is the centre of worship. Jesus is the one that's throwing crowns down at his feet and falling flat on their faces. Because it's all about Jesus. So if you didn't know him, you want, you're not going to like heaven. Heaven would be the worst place for somebody who doesn't love Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. Do you still want to go to heaven? Because yes. you go the other place, it's all about you. A world full of people where it's all about them. Without constraint. Oh, Jesus. So do you have eternal life? You see, that's not actually the question, is it? The simpler question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You can't know Jesus just by one prayer and sitting in church all your life. You could have you could be very intelligent about Jesus. You can know a lot about Jesus. You could be well trained in Jesus, but you don't necessarily know him. Because you can't know Jesus by one prayer. The only way you can know Jesus is to go after him. 
You can't know Jesus because you responded to one altar call five years ago. And somebody prayed for you and you were flattened by the Holy Spirit. Eternal life is 24-7. That's what, that's what the one in whom everything exists, the one who created everything, who created you so that he could have joy in you, delight in you, pleasure in you, and love you. He says, I'm inviting you into that. That's what it's about. You're going to hate heaven if you don't like me. So get to know me. Let me finish with this. Ephesians So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing him. Let's stand. Can I have the worship team back, please? Because I'm going to pray that for you. Father, I come to you now by your spirit. And I lay my heart before you. And I ask that for all who want it, you would give right now a fresh impartation of wisdom and revelation in knowing you. In knowing you. Jesus, I pray that we will become those who want to know you and leave behind those who know about you. Mm. That we would seek wisdom. And in seeking wisdom, we would find you. We would find Jesus. And we would love him, take joy in him, delight in him, have pleasure in him. The way he has joy, pleasure and delight in us. Oh, give me, a, give me a deep love for you. Give me a deep love for Jesus. I want to know Jesus more than anything. Please, Holy Spirit, do that work in my heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you.